Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Will you turn with me back to Acts chapter 26 where Tommy uh, had us read through and we've been taking big chunks because the last three weeks uh, really whole chapters but um, they're one main account and and so um, we've got here in chapter 26 the final courtroom drama that the book of Acts records. He's going to have one more when he goes to Rome. We don't get a lot of details about that when we just get Paul arriving to Rome and we'll look at that in the next a couple of chapters as we close our study in the book of Acts. But here in chapter 26, he testifies before King Agrippa. We, we were introduced to him last week in chapter 25. Uh, and what do you think Paul testifies of? His testimony, right? I mean, that's what you've got here. You've got Paul's testimony. The Apostle Paul shares here with everybody present, not just King Agrippa, but if you remember from last week, um, Festus was there, King Agrippa's sister, Bernice, all the leaders, uh, Roman soldiers were there. And Paul testifies before all those present there who he was before he received Jesus as Savior. He testifies of the change that Jesus made in his life and he shares the gospel with every single one of them. Paul tells him what Jesus did for me, he can also do for you. And we read this together earlier before we study a verse by verse. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we're, we're thankful, uh, the, us who have received Christ as Savior. I know that would be the testimony. We could go all around this sanctuary this morning and people would give glory to you for what you've done in, in their life. Uh, I, I suppose some of them might be, um, in our human estimation, more uh, action-packed, and what we might think is a more powerful testimony because there's been such a radical transformation. But anybody who's been saved is a soul that's been plucked out of the kingdom of darkness and put into your heavenly kingdom, the kingdom of your dear son. And so every single time, it's a radical transformation. Uh, it's something that only you can do with a heart that's yielded to you through the power of your gospel and your Holy Spirit. God, remind us of the power here in verse 26 of our testimony, not because there's any power in us or, or what we might have done because of what you've done in our lives. Lord, give us opportunities uh, uh, to use our, our testimony as we're interacting with others who don't know Jesus as Savior just yet. Remind us of this this morning, your word we ask in Jesus' name, amen. And so, um, Paul really here, he's not so much presenting a, a defense argument uh, as he sees this as an opportunity before these government leaders um, to testify of what he was like before following Jesus. Uh, first, <laughs> good chunk of Paul's life, his testimony was one of Jesus persecuted. Look at verse 1. Uh, Paul is invited by King Herod Agrippa here to testify. And in verse 2, Paul begins his testimony by saying this, I thank myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I'm accused of the Jews. Paul's happy, it says. Now let's not forget what Paul's experience has been 
Pastor Tommy just mentioned that uh, over the past two years, where we've been studying the past three or four weeks, Paul's been under house arrest. Uh, he's been charged with multiple capital crimes that uh, might result in the death penalty. Uh, Paul has had a significant number of people who um, had a, a great desire to kill him, and, and given the opportunity, they do it. And, but Paul testifies here that he's happy. <laughs> How could he be? Well, we can be happy when we do what Alyssa just sang about, when we trust in God's promises. He hasn't promised us any of those things. She said he hasn't promised us. But he has promised to always see us through. Um, Paul's happy here because he has the opportunity to, to do what God commissioned him to do, what God commanded him to do. Paul's happy because he's getting to share the life-saving, life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. Christian, I hope you realize that you can be just like Paul as well. I hope that you realize regardless of your circumstances, you can be happy. You can have a joy uh, if it's sourced in Jesus. You can have a peace that passes all understanding, just like God promises us in his word, when you're able to do and when you actually do what God's called us to do. Share the gospel. Now, another reason Paul's happy is that he now has the opportunity to do that uh, in front of King Herod Agrippa. And in verse 3, Paul says he's especially happy because I know thee, Agrippa, to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech you to hear me patiently. Paul's happy to share the gospel in this instance because the person that he's sharing it with has a pretty solid understanding of what Paul's about to say. King Herod Agrippa was a, a practicing Jew as far as religion goes. So he knew the Old Testament scriptures. It wouldn't be like a Gentile where they have no knowledge of it. Paul's coming to somebody who he's, he's got a good foundation. Hasn't been saved yet, but he's got a good foundation. Paul should uh, easily be able to make the connections between what those Old Testament prophecies and promises said about Jesus Christ, about the Messiah, and their fulfillment in Jesus but I'm sure Paul was also happy to share Christ with King Herod Agrippa because we know that Paul had this deep, passionate desire to see the Jewish people get saved. A number of times in Scripture, especially in the book of Romans, uh, Paul says just that. Uh, because there was a point in his life that Paul was just like them. <laughs> just like them. Persecuting Jesus, rejecting Jesus. But Paul also knew this. this is what he writes in Romans 1, 16, a verse I'm sure you know well. It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew and to the Greek. Amen? Yeah. Now, Paul's testimony of his life before salvation, a testimony of Jesus persecuted, it's found here in verses 4 through 11. Paul says in verse 4, Hey, what I was like from a child all the way up to the day I got saved, everybody knows well. I mean, this wasn't like a new person that they never heard of. They knew who the apostle Paul was. They knew what had happened to him. Uh, verse 5, he says, I was trained and I was part of the strictest uh, sect of the Jewish religion. I, I lived as a Pharisee. And then in verses 6 and 7, Paul testifies that he's now being accused and put on trial uh, really for um, testifying or believing in the hope of the promise. That's the phrase there, the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. Well, what does Paul mean by that? Well, he's already connecting Following Jesus, receiving Christ as Savior with what God promised about the Messiah in the Old Testament. That God would send a Messiah, Savior. And he would suffer and he'd die to pay the penalty for our sins. But he wouldn't stay dead. And uh, he would rise again. And in him, God would give eternal life to all who would place their faith in Christ. Paul asks Agrippa a question in verse 8. Why should it be thought a strange or incredible thing with you that God should raise the dead? 
Paul saying, Agrippa, this is what we believe since Genesis as Jewish people. So since God's promise to Abraham, that through Abraham and through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would come from Abraham, in thee all the families of the earth will be blessed. Since Moses, this is not some new religion or some strange new idea. This is what has been promised by God and revealed in God's word from the very start. In verses 9 through 11, Paul returns to sharing with King Agrippa Paul's testimony before getting saved. He says, verse 9, he says, I truly thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to Jesus of Nazareth. And according to Paul's own testimony in verse 10, I shut up many in prison, many Christians in prison. He said, uh, I, I gave my voice against Christians, condemning them uh, to death, giving them the thumbs down as a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin. In verse 11, I punished them often in every synagogue. I compelled them to blaspheme. I was so against Christians that I even went to strange cities. I hunted them down. Before coming to Christ, Paul was quite a character, wasn't he? Mean, ornery fellow. Uh, he sincerely thought, this is, this is an important thing to consider. He sincerely thought he was doing the right thing. Thought he was doing a godly thing. He was sincerely wrong. His testimony was one of Jesus persecuted. Paul persecuted Jesus by persecuting followers of Jesus. That's why in our next section about Paul's conversion, Jesus identifies himself to Paul this way. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Uh, Paul couldn't persecute Jesus in person. Jesus was in heaven. But he persecuted followers of Jesus. Let's take a look now at that watershed moment in Paul's life, verses 12 to 18. Here's Paul's testimony of salvation. Jesus no longer persecuted. Now Jesus becomes uh, preeminent. So, so this is actually the third time in the book of Acts where we have this account of Paul's salvation experience. It, it's a critical part of any Christian sharing their testimony. Uh, I mean, first back in Acts chapter 9 when it actually happened. And, uh, but Paul also recently shared this testimony before Festus and Felix in the last few chapters. Uh, and I think we know the events of Paul coming to Christ and receiving salvation pretty well, I hope. Um, but this testimony before Agrippa here is the most detailed of the three. Paul's on his way to Damascus to hunt down Christians. And on his way around noon, verse 13 records what happened. He's struck to the ground <laughs> by a light that's brighter uh, than the sun. And then all of a sudden, Paul hears a voice from heaven and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He knows it comes from heaven. So Paul says, who art thou, Lord? And he gets a little surprised because it's Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. That's a life-changing experience, right? I mean, I think it would be for any single one of us. Uh, but anytime our lives intersect with Jesus, it's a life-changing experience. Paul testifies in verse 16 of what Jesus said next. Rise up, get up on your feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things you've seen already and those things which I'm going to appear unto thee. Hey, that changed Paul's world. Those words right there changed Paul's world. He immediately understood Jesus is alive. He's not still in the grave or his, his disciples didn't rob that grave and we don't know where he is. Like was the story that the Jewish leaders gave after Christ's resurrection. He's like, Jesus is alive. Paul understands it now. He now understood that Jesus is Lord. That's what he said in response to Jesus. Lord, what do you want me to, to do? Now, before Paul submitted to Jesus as Lord and trusted him as Savior, his testimony was one of Jesus persecuted. I mean, that's all he lived for. But from here on out, it's one of Jesus preeminent. Jesus is the Lord of Paul's life right now. He's first. He's central to everything Paul is and does. Listen, that is what it means to be a Christian. Man, what a great description. Living life with Jesus first. Most important. 
Living life with Jesus as central. Living life with Jesus as preeminent. There's nothing, there's no one that's more important than him. That's what it means to be a Christian. Jesus tells Paul here, I've got a purpose for your life. It's literally what it says there in verse 16. I've got a purpose for your life, Paul. You're going to be a minister and a witness of me. And Christian, that's not exclusive to Paul. That's God's same purpose for you and for me. Um, that we would be a minister and a witness of Jesus. Minister doesn't mean pastor. I know that's how we sometimes use it in our English language. Do you know what minister means? Literally in the Greek, it means servant. You're to be a servant. Jesus says, from here on out, Paul, you are going to be my servant. You're going to serve the gospel message. Man, I wish Christians could recognize that. I wish more pastors could too, um, that, that we'd lead by example this way, that we're to serve the gospel. Now, the Great Commission... Uh, given to us by Jesus to every single one of his followers. It's not to make his message. It's not to make our testimony to serve ourselves. We're called to serve the message. We're called to serve and be a witness of the gospel. What happened in Paul's life here? I mean, he was saved, right? He's born again. He met Jesus. A change occurred in his life. Paul had to repent. That's what happened here. He had to make a change of heart, a, a change of mind. That led to a change in action. That's what it means to repent. Paul did that here. Verse 17 gives us a description of how God would use Paul, but it's also a great uh, description of what salvation is, uh, what, what salvation is really all about. Verse 18 says, To open their eyes and to turn them from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by the faith that is in me. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit calls us to trust in Jesus as Savior. Our eyes are open. We turn from darkness to light. We turn from the power of Satan unto God. Our sins are forgiven. We are, we're given an inheritance promised to us by God. For all those, it says here, who are sanctified by faith that is in me. Uh, that's Paul's purpose now. Jesus would be preeminent. Uh, the gospel message pointing people to Christ. That is what Paul's life is going to be all about. It would be preeminent. Paul's life had to be changed by Jesus. How's yours? I mean, have your eyes been open? Have, have the Holy Spirit used God's word to turn you from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, just like it says here in verse 18? Do, do you know the freedom of sins forgiven in Jesus Christ? Do you know the peace of eternal life that's yours because you trust in Jesus as Savior? If not, repent, yield to the Holy Spirit. Obey God's voice. Let Jesus change you this morning. And then the, the last section here, verses 19 to 32, is... Uh, Paul continues sharing the gospel, but his testimony now is one of Jesus preached. He tells King Agrippa, he tells everyone there about what his life has been like since that day, trusting in Jesus as Savior. Verses 19 and 20, Paul says, I obey Jesus. He says, since that day, Agrippa, I've been on mission. I've been sharing the gospel. I've been making disciples, calling everywhere, people everywhere to repent, to turn from sin, turn to faith in Jesus, to, to live like they, they've been saved. That's what it says at the end of verse 20. Everybody who has been saved, I, I preach that they should repent, turn to God, do works, meet for repentance. Like live like you've been transformed. Verses 22 and 23, Paul circles back to connecting the Old Testament promises and prophecies about Jesus to the gospel he's preaching here. He says, what I testify before you today, Agrippa, that's what I've been preaching. And it's just what God's communicated to us in his word. That the promised Messiah, Jesus would come, he'd die for our sins, he'd, he'd rise from the dead, and he'd fulfill God's plan of salvation for whosoever will place their faith and trust in him, confess him as Lord. Now, I don't know if Paul planned on saying anything more. He didn't necessarily have to. He's giving the gospel out for sure. But he doesn't get an opportunity here 
Uh, that's kind of the end of his message uh, because he's interrupted in, in verse 24. Look at what Festus says. He says with a loud voice, so everybody can you know, have nice wireless mics like we got here, right? Says with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning has made thee mad. Saying, Paul, you're crazy. <laughs> that's what Festus says. And I think it was Paul bringing up the resurrection in, in verse 23, as well as the eternal life uh, that Christ guarantees to his followers. That was the point that was too far for Festus. I mean, for a Roman uh, Gentile individual who, who doesn't believe the gospel, yeah, that'd be, that'd be a little crazy. Really, the whole testimony of Paul was probably crazy to Festus. I mean, here's a prisoner. He's accused of the death penalty worthy crime. And he says, I'm happy. <laughs> That's a little crazy. Uh, that Paul insisted God could raise the dead. That, that Paul testified, yeah, I was going and, and all of a sudden a light shone from heaven. And I met Jesus. That's a little crazy to an unbeliever. Uh, that Paul was more concerned about proclaiming the gospel than his own personal freedom. That's crazy to a Roman unbeliever like Festus. Let me tell you this, Christian, the gospel of Jesus Christ, when it's properly proclaimed, uh, whether verbally or by your life, the gospel of Jesus Christ it, it will seem crazy to an unbeliever. It, it ought to. The eyes of Festus have not yet been uh, opened. His heart was still in the darkness of unbelief. He had not yet known the forgiveness of sins that a believer knows. That sounds crazy to people like him. And well, it should. There's something wrong with our Christianity if it makes sense to the world. But Paul answers Festus in verse 25. He says, I'm not crazy. I'm not mad, most noble Festus. I speak the words of truth and soberness here. And I think in verse 26, Paul recognizes Festus is not ready yet to receive Christ. He's done what he's got called him to do. He gave out the gospel. So I believe Paul turns his attention here to King Agrippa, the one who knew the Old Testament scriptures and promises prophesying of Jesus, the Messiah. King Agrippa would have been aware of Christ's death and resurrection, as well as the growth of Christianity over the past three or four decades. And none of that says, uh, none of that is hidden or done in secret, Paul says. You know about this King Agrippa. Shouldn't be strange to you. Shouldn't be crazy to you. And so an invitation comes in verse 27. Let's read that. King Agrippa, believest thou to prophets? I know thou believest. So Paul invites Agrippa to come to a decision. If Agrippa says, yeah, of course, yeah, I believe the prophets. Well, then you have to believe the one they're prophesying about. King Agrippa says, no, no, I don't believe the prophets. Well, he's going to have a pretty difficult time uh, being the king of the Jewish people who do believe the prophets. It's very important for us to do what Paul does here whenever we share the gospel. I mean, timing's a part of it. He doesn't do it with uh, Festus. He senses he's not there yet. There's something that might, maybe is a look of conviction on Agrippa's face. And Paul gives him an invitation. He goes a little step further than just sharing the gospel. Uh, when I became lead pastor here a few years back, I ordered and installed a little plaque to go up here on the pulpit. Many of you might not even know it's here. Um, and it's right here. Sometimes it gets in the way of our notes, right? But a uh, little plaque, it's from pastor and theologian John Stott, and it says, no appeal without a proclamation, and no proclamation without an appeal. And... Um, what that means is that when, whenever God's word is preached here, there'll always be an invitation, and there ought to be. Uh, that's a reminder to myself, to Tommy, Daniel, anybody who's up here. Any, anytime God's word is given out, 
there must always be a call to decision, a call to respond to God's word. We, we don't come here to church and, and do what we do here just to be better informed about what God's word says. The reason we come and join together for worship and, and to study the word of God is so that we might be transformed by this amazing act of alive uh, gift from God. Now, now, whether that looks like an altar full of people doing business with God at the end of a service or whether that looks like people that, man, they never even make it that far because God's Holy Spirit's been working on them, has been weighing on them, uh, you know, two points ago in the message, 15 minutes in. I really don't care what, what that looks like. But there has to be an invitation given. That's what Paul does here. Uh, what, I, what I earnestly pray for every time the gospel is given out, whether it's by myself or anyone else, um, God's word is, is preached, is that the Holy Spirit would leave nobody here unchanged. What, would, what was Agrippa's response? In verse 28, he answers Paul's invitation to trust in Jesus as Savior this way. Uh, it says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Now, in the Greek, it's difficult really to know if Agrippa's being serious or a little sarcastic. Uh, King James, think New King James, they translate it that way. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. It could definitely also be translated in a more sarcastic way. And, and so if you have a, a different modern English translation, I might put it that way. Like, Paul, do you really think that your little speech here is going to be enough to, to make me trust in Christ as Savior? But it doesn't really matter because either way, Paul responds in verse 29. Yeah, I wish you would, bud. I wish you would. I wish you and everybody else here who just heard the gospel, I wish you would do just as I did. I wish you were just like me except for being a prisoner all chained up right here. I do believe, though, King Agrippa was under pretty heavy conviction. He had heard the gospel. I believe the Holy Spirit was moving through Paul's sharing of it and, and Agrippa's heart. But he rejects this invitation. Why? I mean, for us who've received Christ as Savior, it seems pretty clear probably, right? Because we've, we've done that. Why does Agrippa reject that? Well, we don't know for certain, but there are certain reasons that are present here um, that are causes for people to reject Jesus Christ even today. We see, you can see it. Uh, sometimes people don't yield to the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ because of pride. They don't. I mean, what would people think if I get saved? Especially, I've been going here for 70 years. Never trusted Christ as Savior, but what would people think if I got saved? Uh, what will people think of me as a Christian if I obey the Holy Spirit and I respond to God's word? What are they, they going to think if, I, if the Lord says, you need to go up there and make a public. I mean, you don't got to tell anybody. Just get on the altar. What, what if God says, you need to do that in your pew. You need to humble yourself. You need to obey my word and, and drop to your knees right there in the pew as we have a time to respond to God's word. What will they think of me if I do that? Festus thought that what Paul had said was crazy. And I wonder if that played a role in King Agrippa's response here. Well, I don't want Festus to think I'm crazy. I mean, he's a Roman leader here. I'm the, I'm the Jewish leader under him. I don't want him to think I'm crazy. You know, and sometimes we don't yield to the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ because of sin. I mean, to this point, Agrippa was living a life dominated by it. He was uh, in an immoral relationship with Bernice. And the invitation to trust in Jesus as Savior, it is an invitation to turn from sin and turn to Jesus as Lord. Lord. And sometimes that's too much. For some people, they love sin more than they love the Savior. They love their life now more than they love his promise of eternal life to all who would turn from sin and trust him. I mean, how tragic. In the last three verses of chapter 26 here, these leaders come to the conclusion, Paul's done nothing wrong, nothing worthy of death or even imprisonment. Still, he's going to be headed up to Rome. That was God's will. God told them, you've got to go to Rome and preach the gospel. 
But if there's two powerful words in this chapter, I mean, to me, it's these. Almost persuaded. Those are two sad words when it comes to the gospel. Almost persuaded. Almost a Christian. Listen, being almost a Christian means you almost have eternal life. It means uh, you're almost delivered from the eternal judgment of hell. Almost ain't enough. It's not enough. Don't let pride put you in that almost persuaded category. God tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, to, to unbelievers. Don't, don't be in that category because of pride. Don't worry about what other people think or say about what you do with Jesus. Worry about what God says. Yeah. Worry about what God says in his word. Almost persuaded, almost a Christian. Almost means no. means no. This morning, I, I, I do what Paul did here. It happened, like happens every week in obedience to God's word. I, I call you to a point of decision. Mine came about 20 times this week as I worked on this message. <laughs> And it comes again for me this morning. I give you an invitation. It's time to respond to God's word and the Holy Spirit's use of it. Maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior. I mean, maybe you've been close. You've been almost persuaded for two years, 10 years, 20 years. I mean, fingers gripping a pew and just immobilized by pride and, and fear. Don't do that. Yield to the Holy Spirit this morning. Receive Christ as Savior. You only ought to wait till the pianist comes up in time. Right now. Call out to God in prayer. Confess your sin to him. Ask Christ to be your Savior. Tell him you want him to be Lord of your life. Be born again. Christian, don't you ever be almost persuaded to allow the Holy Spirit to use God's word and change in your life. When, when in God's grace, he convicts you of sin, he says, mm, this don't belong here. That, that needs to go. And run to Christ. Run to Christ. And let him cleanse you with his free and fully forgiving blood. Let him make you new again. Tell him this morning, Lord, like Paul, from, from here on out, I want you to be preeminent in my life. I don't want anything else getting in the way of you. Ask God, say, say God, help me keep you first. Help me keep you central. Jesus follower, would you tell the Lord this morning, I've been reminded in your word that, that this is my purpose, just like Paul as a Jesus follower. I'm to be a minister and a witness of Jesus Christ, of what he's done in my life. And maybe you need to tell the Lord, honestly, I, I've let things get in the way of that at times. Sometimes it's just forgetting. That's my purpose. Sometimes I willfully let other things take precedence. Would you ask God to remind you and use you to point others to Jesus in the week ahead? Tommy, would you come up here and lead us in a time to respond to God's word? And however the Holy Spirit's used his word to call you to respond today, I just ask that you'd obey him.